Well, the other reason I wanted to be up here on stage this weekend is so that I could get to be the one to welcome back to our stage our good friend, Brandon Stevenson. He's here this weekend. Yeah. Come on up, Brandon. He's in the process of planting our sixth um, church plant out in Pittsburgh, so he's going to update us on the progress, and then he's also going to um, teach through the next one of the fruits, Gentleness, for the New You series. So welcome back. Thanks, Sue. Hi, guys. How are you? It is, it's, it's kind of weird, isn't it, that I'm here? It's kind of surreal for my family not to be here. It, on one hand, it's like we haven't been here in so long. It's like seeing old friends. And on the other hand, it's just like we haven't left at all. We've just been on like an eight-month vacation. We're back now. So, you know, it's good to see you guys. But uh, it's been a crazy, crazy journey. I've missed you guys. I mean, most of you guys, maybe a few of you I didn't, like Andy. But no, it's okay. I love Andy. Just kidding. Um, but for those of you who kind of wonder who I am, uh, my name is Brandon Stevenson, if you're newer here. Riverland, and for almost eight years, I was on staff here doing different things like youth ministry and adult ministry and things like that. And on January 1st, my family, my wife Danielle, and our three boys, Noah, Drew, and Kobe, uh, got in our van and we moved to Pittsburgh. We were in the process of planning a brand new church in the southwest uh, western Pittsburgh area called One Church. Uh, and it's been just an amazing journey where God is moving, we're catching up, and uh, just seeing how we can serve the community. We're building our launch team right now, uh, and we can't wait to see how God continues to grow this thing. And in this whole process, it's been amazing having River Glen, you guys, as one of our, our greatest partners. You guys have been supporting us relationally, spiritually, financially, and we wouldn't be where we're at right now if it wasn't for, for you guys as a church. So thank you for that. It's so good to be back, so excited to come and share with you guys uh, and be a part of this series you've been doing uh, all summer called New You, where you are walking through the fruit of the Spirit, and the fruit of the Spirit is our, our outward actions that shows evidence that God is changing uh, our lives inside of us and how it overflows into the way we live. When we choose to follow Jesus and, and God starts working inside of us, He makes us new, and the results, uh, this results in a different way of living that's even different than what the, the way the world uh, calls us to live. And we see these fruit uh, listed out in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. And Paul writes, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And so you've been talking and learning about love and joy and peace and patience and, and seeing uh, what, how those attributes can play out in your life when it comes to following uh, Jesus and God changing you with his spirit. And so for this week, we're going to be talking about this idea of gentleness. Now, when Ben gave me this topic, I thought, cool, that's, that's a fun topic. That'd be, that'd be a cool thing to kind of talk about and share with you guys and just kind of wrestle with together. Uh, but the thing is, when you start talking and, and, and preparing messages uh, for topics, like this, it causes you to pay a little bit more attention to what the topic is. And so as I've I started to understand gentleness even a little bit more than I used to, I've realized this is actually an area of my life that I struggle. And see, the best way to understand gentleness is, is simply by withstanding criticism and hostility without aggression. It's kind of similar to patience, but it has more to do with how we react to those situations when people are critical of us, hostile towards us, bring anger towards us, or whatever that may be. It's how we respond back to them. In fact, another word that we can use for gentleness is the word humility. They're kind of the one and the same here. It's not responding to anger and hostility with harsh words or sarcasm or gossip, but rather responding with softness, with humility, and with control of our words. <clears throat> And this is something that I've struggled with, especially recently since we moved. You see, us moving back to Pittsburgh, I'm going to be really honest with you, this church planting thing has been 
awesome. Like it's been crazy. It's been adventurous. You see God move in crazy ways like we've never seen before. We're meeting people and connecting with people where they've been praying for a new church. And seriously, we kind of just connect and then cross paths. It's like this whole great match thing has just taken place. It's an amazing adventure. But to be even more honest with you guys, it's also kind of kicked our butt as a family a little bit over the last eight months. It's exhausting. It's frustrating. The transition from Waukesha back to Pittsburgh was, although exciting, it was actually really difficult. We left a lot of friends. We left a lot of comfort. And we moved to a community where we knew three people. And it was kind of a crazy transition. It was a really crazy and difficult transition for our five-year-old son, Noah. You see, Noah had it all here. And, and, and he knew that. We knew that. We knew it would be difficult. But he had you guys. He had River Glen. He had his classes. Like last night, he could not wait to get down to kid life. He was so pumped to see his old teacher and all those volunteers who loved him for so, for so long. Uh, and, and so he was pumped for that. He had preschool. He had friends. We had our small group. He had baseball. He had everything a little boy could want in life. And then his evil parents just ripped it all away from him. And we pack up everything. And he was excited to get to Pittsburgh. But then Noah got to Pittsburgh and goes, well, this isn't my house. This isn't my church. Uh, you know, and so he got frustrated. It was difficult for him. And, and with Noah, he's a kid that's very emotional. Like if Noah's happy, you know it. If he's angry, you know it. If he's sad, I mean, he just, his emotions are just so evident on, in, in his life. And so you know how he's doing. And his emotion has been angry and sad. And he struggled uh, over these past few months. And so he would do things like when he would get mad at us, his response would be like, I don't want to live here anymore. I'm going back to Wisconsin. So you guys did something, right? Because he liked living here uh, <laughs> throughout his life. And so he'd get frustrated. And, and it was really cool. Someone actually from Riverglen actually gave us their old bunk beds that their little kids used to use. And we got those for Noah and Drew. And Noah's like, I don't like this bed. I want my old bed. Even though the mattress he sleeps on is the same mattress he's always slept on. But he wanted his old bed set up. And he wanted his old friends. And so he would just yell at us and he'd storm off. He's like, I don't want to live here anymore. I'm like, too bad, man. You live in Pittsburgh now. Go Steelers. Deal with it. This is your life. And so we would just have these arguments back and forth. And the problem was not Noah. It, the problem wasn't Noah having these lash outs. Like, we expect that with a five-year-old, right? I mean, he had everything kind of going, and his whole world just got kind of flipped upside down. It's been difficult for him. And Daniel and I weren't surprised by that. But the difficulty has actually been with me, where we were in this stress of a situation trying to figure out how to start this church. And I kind of think of myself way more important than Noah's, you know, small world problems as a five-year-old. And so when he's mad at me, I would respond to him with more anger and criticism or harsh words. And I would tell him, deal with it, kid. There's nothing you can do about it or something like that. And it just would not go well. Noah's emotions were pure. They were true. That's what he was going through. And I wasn't responding to that hostile situation with gentleness. I actually responded with it with more hostility. And it hasn't been my finest moment as, as a dad. It's not my finest moment as a, just a human being. Uh, but this is the difficulty I, that I've struggled with in my life. And so now that I've talked about how I don't have a really good gentleness in my life, I'm going to share with you why you need it and why it's important for you. It makes sense, right? The new people in here are like, why did we send this guy to plant a church? But, <laughs> but honestly, though, I think we all can agree this idea of gentleness is something we, we could use and need in our life, lives, lives, but it's something we can struggle with. In fact, when we face criticism or hostility, our reaction isn't gentleness, but more often it's something with more criticism and hostility. We respond to hate with hate. We respond to anger with anger and hostility with hostility. We see that in our close relationships with our, with our siblings, with our spouse, with our kids. In fact, it's easier for us to be gentle and show humility to strangers 
than it sometimes is to show that to people who are closer to us. We get a little more tense with them for whatever reason that may be. But that's, that's, that's something that happens with our close family and friends like it is with me and Noah in some situations. It can, we can see it in our work environments. When a, when a boss or a coworker has some slight or says something against us, we respond to anger or criticism or gossip to make ourselves look better uh, than what they're doing on their side of it. We see that in the state of our country right now. We see a lot of division, a lot of hate, a lot of anger, a lot of fear and hostility. And the response to that from wherever people are coming from is more hate and anger and hostility and fear. And it's causing just this culture of division and not gentleness but of pride. And we do this because our culture values the other side of it. It doesn't value gentleness and humility. It values harshness and criticism. We don't want to lose. We don't want to feel like we're less of a human than the other person. So we would do things that we respond aggressively to make ourselves feel better, look better. And what that does is produces more hostility and hurt. In fact, it seems kind of weird that when someone's hostile or there's anger towards us to actually respond to them with gentleness and humility. It seems weak in a way. And it kind of seems upside down than what our world actually teaches. But what if... That upside-down way of living is actually the thing that's going to change our lives and change the world around us. I think that's the case. You see, when Jesus entered into this world, gentleness and humility was not a highly valued attribute for a human to live out. It just wasn't looked up, up, up fondly upon. In fact, it was kind of despised. Uh, nobody wanted to be viewed as lower than another human being, so it led to a lot of hostility, sharp words, power struggles to make people look better and to achieve better status in that society. Nobody valued being gentle or being humble, and life was viewed as a fight to show that you were strong and powerful and you took out whoever was in the way to get there. It was uh, strong in the Roman government, and the Roman Empire was controlling everything at that point, so that culture just overflowed into the people, and it was about power and, and, and power struggles and a rat race to make sure that you were viewed as wealthy and worthy and valuable in your society. It also overflowed into the Jewish people too. What was happening is all the laws that the religious leaders held in high regard became this burden on the Jewish people. And it caused them to work really hard so they can be viewed as good in God's sight. You see, what happened is they kept thinking and believing that every time they'd screw up and sin and mess up, the God was just angry with them and frustrated and disappointed. And they weren't worthy to be with God. And so they, they viewed God as this angry being. And so they would do whatever they could to make themselves look better to God and to look better to other people. So they would... You know, you know, practice and giving their sacrifices. And their sacrifices, they'd want their sacrifice to look better than their neighbor's sacrifice. And they would do work really hard to follow all the hundreds of laws so they looked like this really holy and righteous and perfect person. Because when they do that, people are going to respect them and God's going to love them and respect them even more. And so they didn't want to make God angry, so they did whatever they could to do that. So it wasn't gentleness with the way they responded. It was actually pride. Actually, there was a saying in that culture that said, take the yoke upon yourself. And what that essentially meant is if you were a real, true Jewish person, you would do whatever it took to follow all the hundreds of laws to the best of your ability. Because the better that you do, the better you're going to be as a person, the better you're going to be to God. So you took the burden on yourself. The problem was they couldn't do it. None of us could. And so it just became this cyclical thing of failure and disappointment and frustration. And then they work even harder to make themselves look better than the other people. And so they took that burden on themselves. And then Jesus came onto the scene and he started flipping everything upside down. But what he was actually doing is making the right side 
up again. He came in teaching things like this in Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 and 29, where Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. So Jesus came to ease the burden of living in this culture of pride, competition, and viewing yourself better than your fellow human being. Jesus brought this new way of living in of humility and of gentleness, because that's who he was. Jesus was more than anybody embodied this idea of gentleness. He came with softness and humility and offered to take away the burdens that, were people, that people were carrying that was causing so much stress and frustration in their lives. And he did things in his culture. And if he would do things, if he was here today doing things in our culture, that we would look down upon him. Because it seemed weak. It seemed upside down. It didn't seem like it was worth it. But that way of living that he ushered in actually transformed the world. You see, Jesus showed gentleness and humility to strangers. He showed gentleness and humility to people that socially he shouldn't have been hanging out with, but he did anyway. Even though the culture said that he, as who he was, as his status was better than them, he still spent time with them, loved them, and treated them uh, like a human and as equal, just like he was. He treated, showed gentleness to the people who were actually about to kill him. But I think one of the greatest moments of gentleness actually happened with one of Jesus' closest friends. I think this story is so powerful because for us, like, yeah, it's easier, I think, to show humility to strangers and give them maybe the benefit of the doubt every once in a while. But for people closest to us, we get a little harsher. And Jesus and this man named Peter, one of his closest friends, have a situation that plays out that Jesus easily could have just written him off. But instead, he showed gentleness. You see, right before Jesus was killed on the cross, Peter actually was kind of following close by this whole situation that was taking place. Peter was one of Jesus' closest friends, one of his closest followers, one of his first followers. And he loved Jesus. In fact, Peter was like the pseudo leader of all of Jesus' followers. And so what's happening is Jesus is arrested. Uh, and as he's arrested, Peter's getting so defensive of this, he actually takes the sword out and cuts a dude's ear off trying to protect Jesus. So he's really all about making sure that Jesus is protected here. So as Jesus gets arrested, Peter kind of follows behind this crowd that's taking place. And he gets to the place where the trial's about to, about to happen. He can't get inside that building, but he's on the outside in the courtyard kind of hanging out because he wants to be close to Jesus because he loves him. But then... Criticism and hostility came at Peter, something maybe he didn't expect in the situation. See, as he's hanging outside, he's hanging around a fire because it's a cool night. Jesus is inside on trial and Peter doesn't know what's going on. There's so much hostility against Jesus now. And all of a sudden people start recognizing who Peter is. And they start coming up to him and like, hey, you're that guy who hangs out with this Jesus fellow, aren't you? Oh, yeah, I recognize you. You've been with him. I've seen you with him before. I also recognize you by your accent. Like, yeah, I know you, man. You're with Jesus. And so in this, in this, in this moment of history, this is not the cool time to know who Jesus was. And Peter senses that and he feels that because there's people with a lot of hatred towards Jesus. And so G, uh, Peter responds in the way that he's taught in that culture. He starts fighting back. When people came at him accusing him of knowing and following, being friends with Jesus, Peter starts going on the defensive and saying, I don't know who you're, I don't know that guy. I've never hung out with him. I'm not a part of his crew. That guy, me and him, nothing. We, we don't know each other. And then as it gets more and more, he gets more, even more defensive to the point where he actually starts calling down curses upon himself, essentially saying, listen, 
If I'm lying, if I actually know this guy, may God strike me dead right now because I don't know him, forget him. I want nothing to do with him. And Peter denies the fact that he even knows Jesus, let alone loves him, follows him, and believes that he is the Savior of the world. Peter fights back, not with gentleness, but with hostility. And then his best friend is killed. And Peter is full of remorse. He's full of pain because of what he just did to his best friend. And then plot twist, Jesus comes back to life. Which is awesome because it shows that Jesus is God. Jesus is the Savior that he said he was going to be. All this amazing stuff is taking place. But you know what? What's going to happen when Peter and Jesus reconnect? How's that going to go? Because I think it's going to get really awkward and really difficult. Because personally, personally, if someone like, like disowned me like that, just refused to even acknowledge that they even knew me, let alone they were my best friend, I would like, I'd want nothing to do with them. There's no way I'd let them back in my inner circle. They'd call me, I'd be like, who, new phone, who dis? Like, I don't even know you, dude. I want nothing to do with you. That's my reaction. But Jesus, in his moment with Peter, continues to flip the world upside down. And he responds with gentleness. See, after Jesus' resurrection, he's with his disciples. And we have this, this moment that's recorded in the Gospel of John where they have breakfast together on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And after breakfast, Jesus and Peter have their moment. It's in John 21, starting in verse 15. It says, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. And so here, instead of responding to Peter's denial and his curses and hostility with the same thing, Jesus responds with gentleness. In fact, scholars believe that most likely this conversation took place while Peter and Jesus were walking ahead of the group. You see, they, Jesus didn't have this conversation. Sometimes I, I envision like they're just around the fire and they're eating breakfast and then Jesus starts having this conversation in front of everybody else. But in fact, scholars believe it's kind of evident in Scripture that this took place after breakfast and they actually started walking away together. And so Jesus and Peter, most likely if you picture it, they're kind of walking ahead of the rest of the group. And Peter and Jesus start having this conversation. Jesus starts talking to them kind of one-on-one. -on -one. Now John must have been close enough to kind of eavesdrop in the conversation. Could you imagine that? Someone just like eavesdropping on your like most intense situation. But John's there. Then he writes for the whole world to know about it. But then we know about it here and we see this conversation take place. And see, Jesus doesn't just, you know, criticize him, shame him, and just make him uh, look embarrassed in front of his friends. He takes them off by himself, walks ahead of the group, and he says, hey, Peter, man, do you love me? And Peter responds, yes. And every time he would respond, yes, Jesus would not just forgive him, but he'd give him a responsibility to go feed his sheep. And what Jesus was saying here is take care of my people and help them to follow me. Jesus is gentle. He is humble. Now, don't get me wrong. This conversation is difficult because you notice in, in, the, sto in the story, in, in Scripture, Peter denies Jesus three times. And Jesus asks him three times if he loves him. No doubt in response 
to that whole situation. So it definitely was difficult and hurtful for Peter. In fact, it hurt him, John says, when Jesus asked him for the third time. But Jesus was gentle. He was humble. He didn't criticize him. He just asked, do you love me? And if you do, prove it by going to take care of my people. Peter's failure was met with Jesus' gentleness and that moment helped transform Peter into the guy who would go and tell thousands and thousands of people about God and about who Jesus was and what he did. And Peter didn't teach them about this God who was angry and disappointed and just, uh, just frustrated with all the failures of them. No, he taught them about this God who loved them and was gentle and was humble and about this God who sent his son to come and rescue them. Because that is who God is. It wasn't just this angry, angry, you know, disappointing, disappointed father figure in the sky. No, it was this God in the flesh who came to love us and be humble and be gentle to rescue us. That's the God that Jesus knew, or that Peter knew, and that's the God he shared with people. And that's the God that transformed him and transformed the lives of thousands of people. Peter's life was transformed by this upside down way of living of Jesus. And this upside down way of living is still exactly what you and me and the rest of the world still desperately needs. You see, just like in Jesus' day, this idea of gentleness and humility is still not highly valued. We celebrate power. We look at ourselves as better, smarter, and stronger than the other person. And this idea of gentleness and humility is not something that our society holds in high regard. We value harsh words, sharp critique, standing our ground because the other side is wrong no matter what they say. And gentleness makes us look weak. But gentleness is exactly what you and I need. It's something that you and I need to receive. And something that you and I need to give. First, this idea of receiving gentleness is the big reason why Jesus came. You see, just like back in Jesus' day, we struggle in our culture to see God as this gentle being. We see him as angry. We see him as frustrated. We just we convince ourselves that he's just disappointed with us over and over again. When we fail as a spouse or as a parent or as a worker or whatever that may be, we just think God must be so angry with us because of what we just did. And when we still struggle with that addiction or that habit that we've been struggling with for years, we have to think that God is just up there thinking, what are you doing? You're an idiot. And so we believe that. And they think that's the God that we know. And so we respond by working really hard to be good enough again. We go to church because that's what's going to make God happy. We give money out of necessity rather than generosity, almost as a way to make us feel better about ourselves. We try really hard to be a good person, whatever that means, but we do it because we think that's what's going to make God smile upon us finally. So God isn't just this gentle, humble God. He's this angry, frustrated, disappointed God with this list of things that we have to get right. And then we fail and we get frustrated and we realize we're never good enough, and we just continue this cycle just like people in Jesus' day, day did. And we get frustrated and think God's mad, with, mad at us. And rather than remembering the truth that God is humble and gentle and his burden is light, we think his burden is heavy and he's angry. And maybe you're in this room right now or maybe you're watching online and that's how you feel. That you're working really hard to gain God's approval. To be good enough. And, but maybe this world feels like it's just too much for you right now. It's been harsh. People have brought pain in your life. And there's hostility between you and a loved one. And work feels like a rat race you're never going to win. And parenting feels like a never-ending battle. And things just aren't working right. And you're thinking, God, where are you in this? 
Let me remind you of Jesus' words. Where he says to me, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. Anyone tired here? Anyone feel burdened? And Jesus says, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. You see, Jesus isn't waiting with hostility or criticism for you. He's waiting, for gent- he's waiting with gentleness and humility. And when you, when you come to realize that God isn't this harsh, angry God, he isn't checking this list to make sure you're doing all the good things that Christians do, instead you realize he's gentle, he's humble, he loves you, this will begin to transform you. And maybe your step today is to receive gentleness. See, God's gentleness was never better on display than on the cross. Now, it may seem weird that we're talking about God being gentle with the death of his son. And it seems kind of backwards, but that really is what it showed. Instead of giving us what we deserved, God took it upon himself. We deserved the penalty of death. He took it upon himself and he showed us gentleness and humbleness and grace through that. So if you need to talk to somebody today of what that means to have that, that gentle, humble God and not the angry God that maybe you've believed in for a long time, I want you to talk to someone today. I encourage you to go out to the Connect Wall. There's a lot of amazing people there who would love to talk to you after service. They'll, they can pray with you. They can just talk to you. Whatever you want to do, they'll help you with that next step. This is a big step, though, and this is going to help transform you to understand that God is gentle. He is humble, and it's going to help you live the same way. See, for others of us in the room, we've received that gentleness. We've had this relationship with God, and we have forgiveness, and not because of anything we've done, uh, but by the gentleness and humility of Jesus who gave his life for us. And we know this, we experience it, we live in it. But the more we live in it, the more we follow Jesus, the more we have to remember this. We don't follow Jesus just for the salvation, but also for the transformation. We don't follow Jesus just saying, Jesus, save me. We follow Jesus to say, hey, Jesus, change me. And we have to remember that, we have to recognize that, that he didn't just come to save us, but also to transform us. And to give us a life that seems, that that means a transformation of producing this fruit that you've been talking about all summer. He came to give you a new you. And that new you will be full of gentleness and humility. Because too often Christians in the church are not associated with gentleness and humility. We're associated with judgment and harshness and criticism. But that cannot be because that is not the way of Jesus. The life we lead now should be one that is full of of, of gentleness. When criticism and hostility and gossip or whatever other difficult thing comes our way, we don't respond with the same things. We respond with the gentle spirit, the kind that transforms us and the world around us. And actually all throughout the New Testament, this is the theme that the church leaders in that day, like Paul and Peter, were reminding the church to do. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 10.10, 10, He says, by the humility and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you. He says, hey, because of Jesus and how he was gentle and humble, he's transforming me to do the same thing. And so I'm coming from you from that angle. And then actually Paul goes on to talk to that church in Corinth about some things they need to fix and get right because they were not following Jesus the way they should have been. It was difficult. But Paul came from from an angle of gentleness and humility. Jesus did the same thing with Peter by saying, hey, do you love me three times? It was difficult. He was addressing truth. And the thing is, when it comes to being gentle and humble, it doesn't mean we disregard sin. It doesn't mean we ignore injustice. It doesn't mean we, take, we don't focus on those things. We don't ignore truth. We just come about it from a different angle, the angle of Jesus. 
the angle of gentleness and humility and not harshness and judgment. That's the way we follow. As Christians, we should engage with people. We should build relationships. We should be involved in our culture. But our approach is that of Jesus and not of the world. It's of gentleness and not harshness. And I think we need to be reminded of what Paul says in his letter to Titus in chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, where he says, Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, and be peaceable and considerate, and always be gentle towards everyone. See, we're given this new life. We're giving a new us to do good, to live a life that flips the world upside down. And the reason that gentleness is so key, as Paul reminds us, is we have to be ready to do good, that we don't slander anybody, that we're peaceable, and that we're always gentle towards everyone. Everyone. There's no asterisk there. It's not everyone except for people who disagrees with you. It's everyone. Because here's what gentleness does. It diffuses a hostile situation. It shows the person you're talking to that they're human just like you are. It shows that you are not above the other person. Gentleness actually surprises people who are expecting a combative response. And gentleness actually starts to smooth out a harsh world that we currently live in. And so River Glen, let me remind you that a new you, a new us, means that gentleness will win out over harshness. Humility wins out over pride. That we are changed and we are changing things through gentleness. Because that's what so de- it's, we so, it's what we so desperately need. And it's what the world so desperately needs. You see, when we set out to start one church in Pittsburgh, we knew it was going to be this crazy adventure. More and more our culture is skeptical and even hostile towards faith and religion and churches. And especially even new churches. It's kind of weird to them. Especially a a city like Pittsburgh where it's a very traditional city similar to Milwaukee. People don't really know what to do with a new church because churches have always just been there to them. And so they respond to it with like kind of weirdness. Like what is that? That just seems weird. That seems difficult. Because on many occasions people look at us like we're crazy for starting one because they've been burnt by the church. They have pain from a previous experience and they're unsure of what this new thing is all about. So we have to show it to them. We have to live out this new us. We have to show them and respond to them with gentleness and humility. And so the people that we want to be a part of one church are the people who don't have a church connection. The people who have doubts, frustrations, struggles, and fear when it comes to following and knowing Jesus. And so we show them by our actions that it's not about harshness and criticism from God, but by love and grace and humility and gentleness. And that is what Jesus and his church is all about. We strive to be gentle and humble as Jesus was. And for that to take place, we need a group of people that are going to join us in that mission. And that's what our main focus of our pre-launch phase right now is. Is we're not going public just yet because we're still building that group of people that are like, you know what? This is how we're going to love Pittsburgh. With gentleness and humility. And I'm really humbled to say that three of those people that are helping us with that are actually coming from River Glen. A few weeks ago on stage, you guys took some time to commission and pray for Ben, Jess, and Scott as they are preparing and have some of them have already moved to Pittsburgh to join us in this mission. Scott is actually one of my former students in my youth ministry and now is just a, a great uh, young man who's following Jesus and doing amazing things. And Ben and Jess volunteered in my youth ministry for a long time. And they're like, you know what? We want to come and join and help you. So you have to pray for them and I'm so thankful you guys did that. But I also want you guys to hear their story of why they're coming out. Because I think what you're going to see is three people who have been transformed by Jesus and want to go help others do the same. So check out their story. 
Hi, my name is Ben. My name is Jess. Hi, my name is Scott. I've been going to River Glen for close to 10 years now, and I've done a little bit of student ministry, and I also uh, play bass in the arts ministry sometimes on Sundays. I've been going here probably eight to nine years, um, and you can probably see me around throwing dodgeballs or just hanging out with youth kids. I've been volunteering ever since I've been attending here. I've been going to River Glen for about 12 years now, and most of the time you'll see me up in the tech booth, um, working with the arts team with lighting, but I also help out in other areas like Kid Life. Um, the reason why I'm moving out to Pittsburgh to help um, Brandon with One Church is because I believe in the vision and the mission um, of what he's doing, and that's biblical and um, very gospel-centered. And I am privileged and honored that God has just um, laid this in front of me and has just uh, shown me door after door that this is something that he's calling me to do. The reason why I'm going out to Pittsburgh is that the timing is just perfect. Um, I have one year out of college and no really ties to uh, this area and I'm able to um, help out with the vision that Brandon's uh, casting on Pittsburgh. Um, I'm going out to Pittsburgh because I have a very close brother in Christ in Brandon Stevenson. He's going to need a ton of help. He's going to be working relentlessly to make this work. And I just figure, you know what, I cannot think of a single reason why I shouldn't go out there and go help him. It's been a struggle, to be honest. Um, God has definitely shown me the way, but it's also an act of obedience. Um, it's been really hard. Uh, a lot of barriers, a lot of struggles, a lot of uh, different variables that are coming in that I wasn't expecting. But to be honest, um, the more and more God has been showing me, the more and more I've been learning about myself. And I've been learning about all the gifts and um, talents that he's been giving me. He's just paved this path that could have only been done by God. First job interview, first application that I put in out in Pittsburgh uh, for my first nursing gig. I left the interview with a job and how can I not believe that that's God saying this is where you need to be right now? For me, I've gotten to a place where I've known without a shadow of a doubt that I'm supposed to be in Pittsburgh right now. So during those struggles and during those challenges, I can rest faithfully in his will and in his way and in his power and capability. I was a little um, later than Justin Ben to uh, committing to Pittsburgh. And I think that was partly due to the comfort level that I had here at home. Over and over again, I'd, I'd think about reasons why I wouldn't want to go out there, and, and over and over again, there'd be a reason why I should go out there. There's nothing in it for us, really. We are just humble servants of the Lord. We really just want to offer up anything we have um, to make this work. I don't think God wants us to be comfortable. I think he wants us to go outside and live life and look at new journeys and be open to that. It's, it's amazing, it's humbling, it's, it's awesome. Ben and Jess have just moved in the past couple of weeks. Scott's going to be there very soon. And, and uh, it's just crazy that these amazing people that I've known for a long time are just jumping and saying, hey, let's do this thing together. And that's what we're all about at One Church is together is better. And so now those three individuals are joining with us and these other crazy awesome people that we've met in Pittsburgh. We, you know, we've met, we, met, we knew three people in the community and we're almost at 20 adults now on our launch team as we're growing and developing. And what we're doing is we're engaging people 
and we're responding to them as best we can with gentleness and humility because they hear about us and they're intrigued by us because like, whoa, like it's this, this, this new church. We have like crazy bright orange shirts that people always see and it's really exciting. But they, when they hear like, hey, where do you meet? And we're like, oh, in our house right now. It's like, what? That's weird. And so they get skeptical really fast. And so we learn that and we go, okay, let's respond to them with gentleness and humility. It's not responding to them like, just join us, okay? You need Jesus. It's more, hey, we get that. So here's what we're doing now as one church. Just to update you guys, on October 1st, we're going to start what we call a soft launch as one. And what we're going to do is we're going to move away from our, 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 the house that we're meeting in um, because we're kind of starting to kind of outgrow that anyway. And we're going to meet in a public space. And we're going to get together for some teaching, for some communion, for some training of what it means to live out the mission of one church and follow Jesus. But what it's going to do for other people is say, hey, I know you're skeptical. I know maybe you're even critical of Jesus and faith in church. Why don't you come check us out? We meet in a public space with no strings attached. And so we try to respond to them with gentleness and humility. And so we're starting that in October. And we're going to work really hard to continue to grow that core team that's going to live out this mission that we're laying out in front of us to follow Jesus, to work as one, to help others follow Jesus. And then come in March, we'll do our full launch. We'll remarket our community and we'll invite the public and say, hey, you belong here. You belong at one. And together is better as we follow Jesus. So I'm so thankful for Ben, Jess, and Scott as they're joining us in that. I'm, I'm so thankful for the people we're, that's joining us uh, in Pittsburgh. And I'm thankful for you for supporting us. Because you see, when we live out gentleness, it keeps us grounded and reminds us of who we are. That we've been given gentleness by God, so we give gentleness to others. And when we do that, we're continually changed. And that happens because of what God's done to us through Jesus. We don't get a new us without Jesus. You don't become a new you without him. And never was that more evident than the cross. And every week here at River Glen, I say we, but you guys continue to share communion together. Not one church, we do the same. We remember the, the sacrifice and the cross and his death and resurrection that came to rescue us and give us a new you. So in the moment after I pray, you're going to do that. You're going to practice that. Take that, remember, and worship God in that. If it's not you, just feel free to let the tray pass. Will you pray with me as we go into that time? God, thanks so much for today and being back here and being back amongst family and friends, God, who love us and we love them and you love all of us and are changing us. God, thank you for the support of One Church through River Glen and thank you for just changing us to be gentle as you were gentle. Continue to make us new, God, and you know we pray. Amen.